0: Have you ever felt like there isn't enough time in the day, or like you don't have time to take care of your well-being and build your dream? Or maybe you felt like it's impossible for you to go to work and still build that business that you envision at the same time. Well, so have we. And this is why we decided to make this podcast. This podcast is not just for PTs, OTs, MDs, or RNs. It's for everyone in healthcare. Our mission is to inspire you to make healthcare a better place and to build your business or brand through stories and real life examples of some of the top leaders and entrepreneurs in healthcare. There's no better time than now. Welcome to Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast.
1: Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, guys, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carl Bourne Jr., and I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching. Paul, say what's up to the people.
2: What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? I'm good. <laughs> Hope you guys are okay. Here's the thing, right? And so, and I always feel like it's weird every time we have a guest come on, because they, you know, they're just looking like, what's going on? So here's here's what it is, Joe. There's this rumor that apparently at the beginning of each episode, I tend to ramble. And so I basically have told all the listeners, y'all are gonna hear me ramble. I don't care. This it's is your our podcast.
3: podcast, you can you can ramble. Exactly, it's like we
2: can do whatever we want. It's oh, you're,
3: You'll hear you hear some of my answers. I'll ramble it's... on for hours. Now. Exactly.
2: <laughs> but anyway, to our listeners, um, what's up? How y'all doing?
1: All right, all right. So without further ado, man, this is gonna be a special one. So as always, you guys know we love to bring you amazing guests that that can just provide. So so much value to you. Today is no exception. We are joined by Mr. Joseph Ranky, the CEO and founder of FitBucks. Joe, talk to us. How are you feeling, man? Thanks so much for coming Dude. on.
3: Yeah, no, glad to be here. Excited. Always fun coming on the podcast, talking about business stuff and everything. You know, it gets me out of my, my daily routine of 14, 15 hours of phone calls and four or five hours of working on technology and marketing stuff. So getting out of that routine and doing stuff new is always exciting. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Joe, let's, let's hop right into it because this is going to be a really good one. Why did you choose to go into finance?
3: I actually kind of just fell into it really. I mean, I've been around. There's always been basically three things constant in my life. Sports was one. Business was another. Because my dad, my mom, everybody that's around me, self-employed. You know, small small businesses. And because of that, I had started looking at investments when I was really young. Um, I mean, my mom makes fun of me. You know, when I was five years old, there there used to be this trading book. It was called Beckett it was a trading card book where it had all the prices of cards. And I would look at that, you know, run down to the store down the street and buy a pack of of baseball cards and then go in and see how much they're worth and try to resell them. I didn't know it at the time. It's called an arbitrage fund, but I didn't realize at the time you actually had to find a buyer. Uh, (laughs) Like it's one thing for a stated price, but actually finding somebody buying it, that's a whole different idea. But it's like at five years old, I was already taking books and keeping books and records of, how much those cars were worth and basically tracking my net worth. Now I was five years old. I had no idea what that, all that stuff was, but those were the three things that were just always constant in my life. And then I started learning a lot about investments when I was about 12 or 13, because my whole whole thing was, you know, if I go into sports or if I go into a job, I want to do what I want to do. And by understanding money, I can basically invest however I want to. And my investments would be my life, not my job or my career, and I can do whatever I wanted to. And that's why I started learning a lot about investments and the different things that you could do. And, you know, I lost my ass on a couple of them when I was 12 or 13 years old, and, you know, big learning lessons on those. And really from there, when I was 18, I I blew out my shoulder and I couldn't throw a baseball anymore. And I always played baseball and ice hockey. And, you know, if I was going to do anything pro, it would be baseball because I was a lot better at baseball but I knew I couldn't play anymore. So I was like, well, screw it. I'll play ice hockey in college. And then kind of just went from there as a, you know, investment degree, finance degree in college. Cause I thought, not because I wanted to go into it because but because I already knew it. And so I was like, this is an easy way for me to get a college degree and I don't have to do shit all day. <laughs> and so, you know, I was, it was fortunate route that I went. I played ice hockey in college, but I was also the director of baseball operations for our baseball team. So I was around, you know, some really high level athletes that were all getting drafted in the first round for baseball and went on to be all stars and, you know, potential Hall of Famers and all that type of stuff. So they taught me a lot, just watching them and observing them, how they go about their days. And then once I left professional sports, I used to work for the Dodgers and I left professional sports and I was like, I'm going into finance because that's what I'm good at. You know, the rest was history. I started learning more from the business standpoint and all this stuff and looking at different flaws and taking the knowledge that I gained. And I was just like, also one day I was like holy cow I I got the solution to this that's what led to fitbook so that's where we're
1: at now <laughs> nice so I know that you know on you guys site when you talk about who you are that you know you guys have worked with uh PayPal and BNB and um, BNP uh mm-hmm. how how did that kind of come into fruition and and what was that experience like
3: yeah a- absolutely so for me myself personally I worked at BNP Paribas in the wealth management uh, department, and actually, again, it's just kind of this thing that happened when I when I left the Dodgers. I had turned down every single one of my finance internships in school, because to me, I was like, I'm going, I'm going to go work in professional sports. That's all I wanted to do. And then once I saw that side of baseball, I was like, screw this. Um, if I'm not playing, I don't want anything to do with this cause I had turned down all my internships. I couldn't go get those investment jobs on wall street. Like everybody was like, that's nice that you got good grades and that's nice that you have your own investment portfolio, but you never worked for, you know, the fucking quote unquote bullshit corporate crap that they want to see on a resume. Right. And I was never really a student. Cause I was like, I don't care about any of this stuff. I need to get a 3.0 because that's my scholarship says I got to get a 3.0. So guess what? All my non major degrees. I cut courses, I got like C's in, some of them I got D's in, and my finance degrees, I got all A's in. Why? Because I knew this shit. I didn't have to study. But long story short, I couldn't get a job in finance. So uh, my buddy at the time had a a mortgage company, and I learned a ton about mortgages. Of course, that was in 2007. Everything was, you know, shit was hitting the fan. And in 2008, everything went bankrupt. I had to have reconstructive surgery, so I I quit. And so I was like, I got to go into somewhere, and I got to do something, and that's what got me to BNP Baraball was I knew somebody that worked there. And they're like, look, we'll let you go into wealth management and our wealth management department. I had no, no desire to go into wealth management whatsoever, zero. And I went in right at the bottom of the 2008 housing crisis, right when the stock market's crashing. And that's when I started really questioning stuff. I'm like, how is it that I'm 24, or 25 years old at that time? And I don't have a financial worry. Like, how how was this happening? And how did more people not like this? Because again, I go back to that mindset that I originally had was, I learned this stuff because I wanted to do what I wanted to do in my my life, and not have money dictate it, right? And so I started looking at the industry and started looking at wealth management and all that type of stuff. And I was like, holy cow, like this is crap. People pushing products because they get paid more. All this different shit that was going on and the bnp parabola is like i got to see what was what was good and what was bad on that side of the industry and why people get into problems how the entire financial services industry is set up and it's really not a financial services financial planning it's more like product pushing really is what it is and how do i actually turn around and solve that and so that's where the BNP paraball experience came in then i went into investment banking and that's where the idea uh, fit really came to, cause when I was in wealth management, I couldn't really come up with the overall solution. I could come up with pieces. I couldn't connect all those pieces. When I was in wealth man- or in uh, investment banking and valuation, there's this thing called an, uh, intangible asset valuation, which is like copyrights and technology and all that type of stuff. And I'm like, well, wait a second. You can do the same thing for people. That's the missing link in people's finances is analysis of them. Like what influences their income and their future and their risk? Cause it dictates everything we do with our money. And once I realized that that's when I knew I started creating algorithms to help basically automate a lot of these recommendations. So that's how that experience paid in. Like he brought in the PayPal stuff. Uh, that's Frederick below. He's one of our product development guys. And he actually came in, he had a lot of startup experience because he not only worked for PayPal, but he worked for PayPal Europe. And he was part of, it was a really small team. I would have to ask him, I think it was like 12 guys and they treated it like a startup in Europe where they basically didn't get any help from the headquarters here in, in the United States. And so he had basically been part of a team building a technology from scratch from nothing and really knew, Hey, look, even though I'm this, this title, when you're in a startup, you got no titles. Like you're, you're doing whatever's necessary. And, you know, so he came on and I actually went to him as a potential investor. And then he liked what we were doing so much. He's like, I just got a job offer from a new Fortune 500 company, but I'd rather come work with you guys. Is that cool? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So that's where he came in. Then our lead engineer was at Lockheed Martin working on top secret government stuff for Lockheed Martin. He was there for 10 years coding and was basically bored out of his mind. That one kind of fell in my lap because he's also my brother-in-law. <laughs> And I was like, Hey, look, I got something for you. And he's like, wait, this is big data. This is analytics. This is automation. Like, let's do it. Um, and then my co-founder, Edmund, similar background to mine, he was actually in investment banking, saw a lot of this stuff, was a was a you know financial expert and he just got sick of, of that side of the industry and was like, you know, this is our opportunity to do something different. So all those experiences kind of came together and, and it's amazing to see, you know, what those different experiences bring and it's awesome to see the revolution over the last two or three years what it's what it's coming out to so by the way paul i told you i can ramble
2: oh no (laughs) Uh, the the more the more you're you're good so here's the thing like the more you talk you talked i was like so i did a summer at gs in ib and the more you talk about it the more i just remember like holy crap
3: yeah, it's all, it's crap. It's
2: crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolute garbage.
3: Yeah. Like I was when I was in investment banking, I was like killing myself. I'm like, oh, look. And it's a lot of the stuff out. we did was was valuation stuff for the yeah. government and the IRS. Like, I'm like, fuck this. Like people are getting like making these like millions. Some of the deals we're working on were billions of dollars. I'm like, who gives a shit if you gotta pay an extra five million dollars right. in taxes? Like Correct. this is this is
2: bullshit. There was a whole lot of it.
3: Yeah, I didn't waste my Where, time. And, and then you see that side of the industry, you deal with the people. It's just not, it's not fun. Yeah. And everybody I know that was investment banking within three years, they're, they're out.
2: Oh yeah, Turnover rate <laughs> is insanely high. It, it makes no sense, but actually it, it kind of helps me segue into like, so you've, you've basically assembled the Avengers in your business. Yep. You just took everybody that was anybody and you said, okay, here, yeah, we're going to actually do good in the world. And I want to kind of start off with just even the purpose of FitBucks because, you know, funny enough, I actually remember right when my girlfriend graduated PT school, she scheduled a call with you and she actually got on a call, with somebody on your team and, you know, had the existential crisis talk about like, <laughs> this is what your debt is. <laughs> and this is what it's going to take. People who don't really know at the root of it, you know, what you created kind of explain to us what the mission was at the beginning.
3: Yeah. So the mission at the beginning is actually very similar to to what it is right now. You know, it never really changed. And what that mission is is it goes back to my background and saying why I learned money, right? Like I learned money because I didn't want it to control my life. I wanted that freedom. And I remember like when I was little, like my dad said something about owning a house and like one of my my friends I played soccer with, they were renting, and I was like, "Dad, what's renting?" And he's like, "Oh, he like somebody else owns the house, and and then that person pays them to to live there." I'm like, "Why doesn't everybody do that? Like own the house and collect the rent? Like that makes no like that sounds fantastic. Somebody pays you, and you don't have to do anything, you know? So that that's how my mindset always worked. Was I do a lot of you know reading with like Nikola Tesla and all that type of stuff. He talks about like negative and positive forces in nature." You know, to me, money is a negative force. I mean, you think about relationships, you think about work, you talk about like PT burnout, you talk about MD burnout, you talk about, you know, relationships breaking up. The number one reasons why relationships end is because of financial reasons. Like it's a negative force. And so if we can create a technology that reduces that stress and makes this stuff easy for people to understand and then have them and make it easy for them to plan and then implement that plan then great instead of spending all that time stressing about this stuff over here that to me doesn't really matter they can spend time doing things like helping people like in healthcare like that's why they went in the healthcare right focus on family i mean th- just think about you I know mean, you think about all the crime in the country right how much of that crime would be gone if people can spend more time with with their children instead of having to you know go stress out about working or what happens if that parent is pissed off because of some financial reason and now they're taking it out verbally with their children, you know, and, and so if we can alleviate some of that stress, so be it. And that's actually the only reason why I started Bucks was, I like I said, finance to me was was something that just what I wanted to do on the side at the end of the day. I wanted to create like a technology. Like, I had an idea of like taking thermal, th- like dynamics and, you know, creating thermal heat and then producing energy off of like your bed sheets and all this type of stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, I'm not a freaking scientist. I don't know any of that stuff. It's like, but I know, I know finance, I know math, I know algorithms, I know data. I can build this technology and it still has an effect on people's lives. And at the end of the day, that's the key thing is affecting people's lives. Let it be a financial technology. Let it be, you know, a brand new piece of hardware, whatever it is, it's like okay. Well, this is what I'm an expert in. This is what I know, and let me just go focus on that. And we have this thing at FitBucks, You know, and investors in our company, they they hate that. When I first started investing, I can't tell you or started Fitbux, I can't tell you how many investors I lost because of what I what I'm about to say. They would ask me about revenue projections. I told them f revenue projections. You know, like I told you, like I, I I'm a big proponent of sports. I learned a lot from sports, and one of the best books I ever read was uh from bill walsh and it's called uh, the score takes care of itself and it goes back to him but it also goes back to our baseball coach it's like you can't control the outcome you can only control the steps to get there and to me revenue is an outcome valuations are an outcome it's like let me control the steps that it can take and guess what if i do that that other stuff will come like and that's all that matters to me is just can we create something that's going to change people's lives and focus on that because if as a business we're sitting there thinking about only revenue and only valuations, that's what we're going to get distracted by. And I'll give you a perfect example. Like, you know, we start generating revenue in the business through student loan refinancing. And it's a very lucrative side of the business. And it's like, to me, it's just a component of what we're trying to do. And our investors are like, you should be going gun ho on that. Like, blah, blah, blah. Because all they're looking at is revenue. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's like a shiny little little object over there that's going to be a distraction. Like, screw that. We're building the technology. If he goes, I don't like it. Look, there's SoFi. There's common bond. There's all these other bullshit horseshit finance companies that are doing student loan. Go invest in them. Like, yeah, we don't need your money. And guess what? Now they're all shit up a Creek because of COVID and they're getting their asses handed to them. Right. Meanwhile, we're, we're hiring people and growing. It's like, there's a reason for that. At the end of the day, the mission, and this is just an advice for anybody starting a business. The mission can't be about money. It can't be about valuation. Can't be about, making a lot of money because i guarantee you right now if that's what it is you're gonna burn out (laughs) real fast Uh, it's got to be something bigger it's got to be something bigger you got to have and for me it's being able to impact people's lives by making it so that way they don't have to think about money that often that they got their plan it's set up they got a way of implementing that plan and if as long as they're doing it they know that they're going to achieve those goals So that's our mission is the focus on on that technology, focus on making sure that people aren't thinking too much about money so they can go out and live the rest of their lives. And by that, indirectly, we can impact people's lives because maybe somebody's spending more time thinking about building the next technology or something else or the next healthcare, the cure for the next whatever it is, instead of stressing about student loans or other bullshit that they got to stress about, then great. Like we just had an impact on that too. So that's the way I looked at it is more of an impact type of thing than anything.
2: Let me follow up a quick question um, to that, because I know a lot of people, especially when they're being entrepreneurs, because all entrepreneurs, they do this funny thing where, like, they want to start something, they want to change the world, and then they have the money realization. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was to come up to you, right, they, they've they got three minutes with you, and they say, hey, how can I be able to, like, put myself in a position where money is not my focus, even though it's, like, an important component, what would you say to them to say, okay, this is how you build your business or your whatever in a way that now money is not the controlling factor, but it's just an outcome of what you're yeah, doing?
3: Two ways one is you personally, one is employees. For me personally, I had a decent amount of money already in the bank from working. I mean, I didn't start Bucks till I was probably 26 or 27, and I had a decent amount of money. At the time, myself and my wife only had about a hundred grand in mortgage debt. She was making six figures as a PT. So for me, no matter what you're doing, manage your risk and your return will be there, right? That to me, risk is is running out of money. What do I mean by that? Is I grew up in Silicon Valley. Okay, again, it's just happen chance that I mean I grew up. It, it was San Jose when I grew up. It turned Silicon Valley when I was about five or ten years old. All of a sudden, it it blew up. And I never realized it. I, I go to like China or Vegas or something. Like that people are like, where are you from? I'm like, San Jose. They're like, oh, Silicon Valley. I'm like, big deal, right? And then I go to like Intel and there's people taking pictures. I'm like, what is this bullshit? Anyways, one of the biggest things that I always see is everybody always talks about Silicon Valley, all these companies that are successful. What they don't see is most of them that fail. And the reason why they fell is not because they don't have a good idea. It's because their, their founders don't give them a chance to succeed because they ran out of money too quick. And so for me, I wanted to make sure I was going to give my, my company an opportunity to succeed. And that means I got some money in the bank. My wife understood like, Hey, like you're working. Cause we need the income. And eventually we paid off the mortgage and everything else. She didn't even really need to work. And actually we moved the company out to Texas. And I mean, I, I still only take a $2,500 salary out of Fitbucks, And she's only working part-time because we have other assets, we have other stuff that is paying for us. So that's number one is making sure from a financial standpoint, you're, you're good to go. Like you give your business an opportunity to succeed. I see all these private clinics shutting down right now for PTs. It's like you guys couldn't last a month without revenue. Holy shit. Like in my opinion, you weren't really a business. I mean, plain and simple, you weren't a business. You you were basically collecting a, a, a there's nothing, there's no difference the, what you're doing versus if you're working a nine to five job, just collecting paycheck. Cause that's what you were doing. I mean, that that's just my opinion. And now they're, they're gone, they're bankrupt. And it's like, yeah, that, that just doesn't make sense. So one side is, is make, make your finances good to go. Now I know this is more than three minutes, but the next one, and this is one of the best things that, I've ever read. And it's actually from a Rosicrucian book. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rosicrucians. It's basically like an old ancient order, kind of like the Templars, all that type of stuff. And the guy that ran it in the United States was actually from San Jose. And he wrote a book, Rosicrucian Principles and Business. And one of his things was, you know, universal laws don't give a shit about money. Universal laws are based on if you're doing the right thing or not. And that everything will come together for you. And that's what he talks about in this book. He's like, and whenever you're talking about business, people always talk about, well, I need money to do something. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't need money to do something. Okay? Money just a means to do, get to that point. There's other ways to do it. So, like, when it came to marketing stuff, I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about Facebook. I knew nothing about Instagram. I knew nothing about any of that stuff. So I had a choice, raise money to hire someone to do it or teach it to myself. So guess what? I spent a month teaching it to myself. And now, which is great as an entrepreneur and a business owner, because now that I'm in a position to hire somebody, I know who's full of shit and who's not. I know what numbers to look at. I know how to do Google SEO stuff. I know how to do Facebook stuff. Because you know, I, I, I trained myself to do that. So that was a different route was like, okay, what, do, what can I train myself on? Psychology stuff. A big thing that we we're in sports was sports psychology. I took those trainings and said, well, what about, how do I apply that to, to business and marketing psychology? So those are little things you can teach yourself that don't cost money. And then on the other side of that, you go to employees, you know, and there's always a different way to do it. Like I, you know, you talked about like the Avengers coming in, you know, as, as a group the highest paid employee at our company is $3,000 a month. Why? Because I gave equity to people. I said, this is the person I need here to help us do this. There's other ways to do it besides cash. There's equity. And I made sure each one of them was also ready to financially saying, look, this could be three or four years before we make anything big. You guys better be ready financially too, because I can't have you be here for six months. Then have shit hit the fan, right? Like you can't do that. There's always... A way to accomplish something without money. Let it be learning something yourself and doing it. Getting somebody on your team that shares that same drive, that is in the same similar position that you're in. So, like I brought up, Frederick is his name, the one that was at PayPal. He just happened to have left PayPal, you know, because he had a a child. That child was a year old. He had plenty enough money in the bank. He's like, yeah, I can do this. My co-founder, same thing. Plenty of enough money in the bank. My my wife's brother, same thing. We're ready to go. So yeah, that's that's the key thing. Is two, one making sh- the two things. One, making sure you're in a good position, and two, it's not necessarily money that's going to get you that thing. There's always other routes to go, and you just have to find those routes. There's other opportunities. There's networking. There's people that will share that same drive you have. There's things you can teach yourself that you don't need to go out and hire people. Um, I mean, like our marketing automation systems. I taught myself Active Campaign. Great. I, I you would pay active campaign five hundred dollars a month instead of me having to pay an employee six or seven thousand dollars a month. And it does great. So little things like that is there's always a way to do stuff without money that can get the job done. So again, three minutes turned into like six minutes or seven minutes.
4: Nah,
1: nah, <laughs> no, 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 you're <laughs> you're dropping gems right now, Joe. Mm-hmm. This is this is great stuff. Listen, so I'm I'm so glad that you had uh mentioned this because I kinda wanna talk a little bit about this. So with COVID hitting, like you said, a lot of clinics closed down. I've seen a lot of companies in general close down, you know, that it was kind of shocking to me, you know, because I I didn't expect for some of these businesses to close down, you know, so soon, like a a month into this pandemic, you know, and and now two months into it, you know, and I think that 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 kind of plays into Uh, what you were saying about making sure that you're taking care of your business first. A lot of people, I think they always have this question and I want to know what your perspective is on it. They always ask, when I start a business, what should it look like in terms of me taking from the business and in terms of me saving? How do I know what that balance should look like? Saving in terms of if COVID 20 comes right now, I'm, I'm good. I know I'm going to be good for the next six months, next year. Like I I know no matter what, like save enough money that my business will survive. Yeah,
3: no, it's, it's actually a combination thing. It's how much money you have in the bank. And then how, how do you manage your, your costs? Okay. So there's fixed costs, you know, variable costs. You know we had a lot of pressure for example to get an office we had an office in san jose when i moved to texas i basically told all the guys i'm like we're working out of home offices for the time being because there's no reason to spend a thousand dollars a month in overhead for for rent why you know little things like that but for you personally it's almost like an emergency fund right like you you sit there and talk about personal finances having some cash in the bank the same thing goes for business um, where it's like okay well what's our estimated cost and if we had zero revenue how many months do I want? Now I grew up, you know, in a family, my dad's extremely conservative and he's been through recession after recession. I mean, he has like a five-year emergency fund. Now it's it's unrealistic for, you know, and to me it's a waste of money to have that long an emergency fund. But I basically turned around and I said, okay, well, for us, we're just going to stockpile cash until I'm in a position to say, If I hire one or two people, and the way I looked at it is every time I have to hire somebody, once they're hired, if we earn no revenue, could I keep paying people for a year? Just because typically you you see economic contractions happen and rebounding and all that type of stuff. And a lot of times it's about a year. So like the mortgage crisis really started in 2007. You know, shit didn't hit the fan until August of 2008 actually really October, 2008, we bought them in March of 2009. And then everything started going, you know, slowly back up from there. I mean, it's not going to be more than 12 months. I mean, it's, it's gonna to start rebounding. And so for me, I typically have, you know, target about six months at six to 12 months for my, my business expenses, which is what we had. uh if, if we made zero revenue for 12 or 13 months, we would still If you function as a business, I can still pay every single employee and all of our overhead without, you know, not paying anybody, not firing anybody, not anything. Uh, But the more important component of that is giving yourself options. So something like 80 or 90% of our expenses are variable. And I mean, I, I, every contract with our partners, where they try to lock us in. I've negotiated for that way. There's always an exit after a month. It doesn't matter. Like I can get out of it. Uh, there's no fixed cost up front, like no minimums. Like, Hey, you have to give us a thousand dollars a month. It's like, screw you. Like I'm not using you guys. You know, and they understand, like I've explained it to them. I explained our business model. They're like, I get it. Like, we just want to be part of the long-term growth. Like, let's go. That's one thing. But also push came to shove our fixed overhead. Like I said, is only about 10 to 15% of our monthly expenses. If really push came to shove, shit really hit the fan. Like six, seven months go by, and it's like this stuff's not turning around. I can go turn around and say to our our employees, we got two options. All of us are not taking salaries because we don't we got other money. We've, we're fine, and that would give us another year and a half to three years of being ever survived. That's how much cash we have to, and pay for our our regular overhead. And if push really came to shove. The way FitBucks is at right now, I can run it by myself, and that overhead is basically three grand a month. That's all I'd have to clear in revenue, and we got well over six figures in the bank. And we, we're going nowhere. It, it, we're we're good. So basically, the long story short is, in physical cash, I like you know six to twelve months. But more importantly, is giving yourself options as a business, saying if this happens, if that happens. You know, That's the investor side of me going back to looking at businesses and investing in them. I don't look at the good side of businesses. I pick the shit out of them being like, this is why you suck. And this is the the worst case scenario. And how can you protect yourself against those worst case scenarios? So to me, every piece of the technology, so it's not just being able to financially do things. Every piece of the technology, the way I laid it out, saying we're building this first, then this, then this, and this. As more things are built out, the more flexibility we have in terms of, okay, if I need to retrace, retract here because the economy tanks or whatever it is, I, I can. I told my best friend like three years ago, he's like, what's the best thing for your company? I'm like, my best thing for our company is to get some cash in the bank, get the first phase of the technology out, which is supposed to be being ready to be done and, and launched like the first financial planning piece of the technology in about two or three months. And that we hit a major recession right at that time period. And he was like, what? I'm like, yeah, two things. One, if there's a recession, people are like, oh shit, I need to help financially. And now we got our big tool out. And two, all the pretenders in our industry are going to go bankrupt. So I'm going to be in a great position. And guess what's happening? So every all all these people that I talk to, they're all freaking out. And we're like, well, let's hurry up and finish the technology. Like, <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, so again, those are the two things, big things. Just making sure you got some enough cash, six to 12 months, giving yourself and and thinking about how you laying out the structure of your business. What are you going for? What optionalities do you give yourself and all that fun stuff.
1: When it comes to investments and when it comes to you thinking about how you're going to invest your money, what would be some, some tips that you would give entrepreneurs and also what's your thought process when you go through how you're going to invest and what do you invest in?
3: I look at different things of saying, I'm going to try to learn it myself because I need to understand it from a high level. And then I can either figure out if I could do it by myself, how much of it we need. And then if it starts expanding too much, then I need to go out and hire somebody. Okay. So, like, I'll, I'll give you guys an example on the marketing stuff. I mean, Facebook, like I said, I didn't know anything about it. It's like, I'm going to go out and, and learn this because I knew nothing about it, knew nothing about Instagram knew nothing about Google SEO, like, you know, all that type of stuff. And started teaching myself that. And then I quickly found out I don't need to hire anybody yet. Like I I can do this myself until it gets to a certain point. And now it's getting to that certain point where it's like, oh shit, we need to hire somebody. You know, my goal is I don't like hiring external people because it's my experience is if they're not gun ho, you know, going for your business, they don't care about your business. They're, just, they're doing a half-assed job because they got other things to do. So we're at the point where it's like, I, I want to go out and hire a full-time person, but now I know this is what I need to invest my money in because this is going to help us grow. You know, when we talk about Fitbuts coaches, I now know exactly who I'm going to target. And a lot of our, our people are like, why do you take so many calls? It's like, I want to know what these calls are going to be like. So that way I know the type of person that I need to hire. That's, that's one of the reasons why I take so many phone calls. And I know exactly what we need to train. I, I know your typical financial planner, how they make money, how they're struggling, how 75% of them are out of the industry in three years because they can't build a book of business because of the horseshit way financial services is structured. I know how our structure is different. I know how I can build a book of business once we launch our investment advisory business and bring them on, and it doesn't really cost me anything because they're bringing their book. And I just need, now need to train them how we talk to people like what's the fitbox way of talking to people. So that's going to be our next two big investments, a marketing guy and coaches, because I know how to communicate that. The only real thing that I I couldn't communicate, which I started learning and I was like this is a waste of my time, is coding. And now I'm kicking myself. I'm like, "Damn, I could have built this whole thing by myself." Now, <laughs> but that that's the the cool part about understanding coding, other things about like databases, how they're structured, big data analytics, is I can now communicate with the engineer saying like, "This is where I think it's wrong. This is what I think we can do. This is how I think we can have this set up. You know, what's the more efficient way of doing this? I can have those data conversations. I, by no means, am a data scientist, but I can have data conversations with data scientists now. And now you talk about where do you invest? We haven't hired a data scientist yet. We don't need to yet. That part of the technology is not ready. So really, when you're talking about where do you invest at, it's sitting there and literally laying out what do you think you need for growth? Where are those stages at? without sinking money into something that you don't need to. And trust me, I've made plenty of mistakes, plenty of mistakes. I'll give you a perfect one. I mean, we were, I thought we were ready to potentially expand marketing wise. And so we went and contracted with Impact Radius last year to do affiliate marketing. And I didn't realize that affiliate marketing is like, you you get like a full-time job trying to get affiliates to come onto your site. And be honest with you, the traffic from it's not that good. And so. I, it's like, we're, we're literally spending $500 a month for something that we're not even really using. Like, I, I, I'm not even really using it. It's starting to take off. And as our time frees up, you know, of course next year, we're doing more, but I'm literally, it's going to be like two years before we can really use it. I, I just sank 12 grand into something at that point for no reason. We're actually using it. I, I'm using it as my own affiliate. Like, like I'm the, and I'm using it for the link so I can track our marketing stuff. <laughs> That's all I'm using. It's like a $500 marketing tool for us right now, not an affiliate tool. So It's like, damn, like, and I look at that and that was my fault. I thought that was a channel to go. Now, opposite of that, we have, it's close to 8,500 people now on Fitbooks and it comes out to like a billion dollars of, we'll hit a billion dollars this month on our platform of student loans being managed on the platform. And I'm like, man, why aren't we going getting referrals from people that we work with? Like there is a easy look like stupid move. And so now we're looking at hiring, you know, buying software that does all the referrals for refer a friend and that tracks it all. But guess what? It's like four or $500 a month. And it's like, shit, I'm spending that on impact radius, which is affiliate marketing. I'm not even using that. This would have been way better uh, of our money. And now I'm sitting there. I just talked, we just had a meeting about this yesterday. Like literally, I might have to stomach it and just take the loss, move on and just go with the one that I think is going to work now. And so that's the big thing is really mapping it all out and saying, this is when I think we actually need this and what can we do before we need it? That's the one piece of advice is is that I'll give too, is that the last thing that I just said, where I'm like, Hey, we just got to eat this. We got to move on. That was the, one of the biggest things I take away from my investment life from business. And, And I take that into business with investments people tend to hold on for too long, right? We used to have a saying, there's more lost in indecision than decision. Meaning when you first make the investment, people hold off. They're like, well, I'm not going to make this investment because this or this or this. Like right now, maybe the market might go down more. Should I invest? No, I'm going to hold off because the market can go down more, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? The market didn't go down. It went up. You just lost, right? Or the opposite way. They invest and it's a loser. And they're like, but they're married to the investment. Like, oh, well- I really like this. And oh, I lost anyway, so I might as well just hold it. And then it just keeps going down more, 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 more. And it's like, oh shit, like now I just lost. Same things with business. It's like, look, I invested in this, let it be an employee, a technology, or something. It's not working. Cut it. Or if you want to test something, buy it. Do it. Because if you're not certain, the faster you buy it, the faster you do it, the faster you're gonna say, yes, that's what I needed, or no, it's not what I needed. And you can move on with your life instead of sitting there and being like for two months, should I do this? Should I not do it? It's like, let's go move. So that's one of the big things. Remember that that's, that's one of my favorite sayings is there's more lost in indecision than decision. You know, either you're doing it or you're not move on, find out fast. A lot of the entrepreneurs that I've seen, a lot of business people that I've seen, they like, I don't need to do research. Fuck it. Let's go. Let our research is we're doing it. We'll get the results we'll make our decision from there. Once we get the results, let's go and see what works. You know, my, uh, good friend of mine used to be a director of engineering at Netflix. And he's like, they never even beta tested their technology. He's like, we built the technology. We did some internal beta testing, but it was like, screw it. We got a million subscribers. Let's go put the technology out and see what breaks. Cause the faster they break it, the faster we find out what's wrong. It's like, yeah, I like that. So Pull the trigger faster. Do your research, obviously. Don't waste money, but try to structure it so that way you're like, this is when we need to implement these fees. Do as much as you can on your own first, and then you'll know what you need to invest into. And like I said, if you're hiring employees, the more you learn on your own. Like I always say, I learn enough to, to know what I'm talking about because I want to know if the person I hire or the technology that's being pitched to me, the person's actually full of shit or not, and that if they can actually help me or not. And so i try to do as much as I can on my own until it gets to that tipping point, And then I need to find something that I can invest in, let it be an employee or technology or whatever it is. And the faster you make that decision, the faster you're going to decide if it's right or if it's wrong. And then you can move on from there.
2: You just really hit it on the nail, especially those are, those are my kind of people. I don't have time to sit here and wonder if I'll work. Let's do it and see.
3: It's like, like I said, I'm a big, I'm a data guy. everybody's like, well, yeah. what does the data say? What is this? I was like, fuck the data. Let's go. Let's find <laughs> out.
2: <laughs> You know, it's the crazy thing with data too. It's like the data can say one thing and then just humans will be humans. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Like I I joke around with people. I am in the big data. I'm 36 years old. I have 36 years of big data in my brain. Let's go.
2: (laughs) I have one last final question for you. Yeah. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I wanted you to go a little deeper. I think a big thing, and I cannot believe we've never asked this on this podcast before, Carl, but when it comes to being able to identify, we'll call them red flags, as an entrepreneur and then red flags in a business. And specifically red flags of a failing entrepreneur and the red flags of a failing business. Based on your experience and everything you've uh, learned, what are some like common red flags from entrepreneurs and people themselves? And then what are some common red flags in the business that you can be able to say, okay, because that, that, that is happening. I'm pretty sure there's like this big of a chance that that's not going to work or that business is not is going to fail. or That person is going to self-sabotage and not, not allow the business to succeed. How can yep. people identify those things?
3: Yeah. The big one is, as an entrepreneur, that's a, that's a big, big one. And as an entrepreneur, that's where you got to let your ego get out of the way and, and really be self-critical and look at everything from the outside in and what I mean by that is like, if you're going to investors or you're hiring people or you're going to con- people that are supposed to be buying your product and they're all telling you no, it's like either I'm I'm presenting this the wrong way, there's something wrong with the actual product that I'm offering, or there's something wrong with me. And that's the biggest one that I see. Like, If you look at your employers or your employees or people you do business with and you got turnover or whatnot... Or people like, I'm huge on body language. So let's like, you know, when I sit there and listen to, listen or watch people when when I'm talking to them or when I hear their tone in their voices, you know, there's something wrong there. You gotta, you know, make sure to get feedback from other people. You know, I, I can't tell you how many good companies that I've seen or people that I know that worked for, it's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. And they go to work and it's like, oh no, that business owner sucked working for And they got constant turnover. It's like with FitBucks, We've had the same employees since we started. We haven't had one person leave, okay. Except for my friend, who I taught day trading, which was a bad idea. Now he's trading Bitcoin, okay, like because he he actually got lucky. He ran into Bitcoin and made a bunch of money, and now he thinks he's a day trader. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> anyways, it's like now I, I gave you the example of my buddy that was a director of engineering at Netflix, and he actually left Netflix about a year ago to go to a new startup in San Francisco. It was about fourteen employees, and now he he had been one of the original employees at Apple. Okay, so like when he was 16, Apple was picking him up in the 80s in a limo to drive him out to Apple's facilities in Cupertino. And I mean, he, he's he been around the Steve Jobs. He's been around, you know, Netflix. He started his own business, sold it to Intuit. Like, and he goes to work for this new company. And I mean, the the owners in there, the CEOs in there, the founders in there, like up in these guys' butts constantly. And within, you know, six months of them being there, five of them quit. And then the, the owner turns around and is like, well, what do I need managers for to do this stuff? Like, I could talk directly to my my engineers. Everybody's fired. And it's like, maybe you should take a step back and look. Maybe, maybe it's not the, you know, the other people. Maybe it's you, right? That's what I meant by you got to drop your ego. You got to really drop your ego and say, hey, like, I'm getting feedback. And not only that, but like for me, like I told you guys, I brought in other guys that are really, really smart. The one, the thing that I get shit on all the time for is I'm the youngest one in my company. And so, you know, for me, it's like you got to really listen to these guys. You know, if you're not a good listener, you're gonna be shit out of luck. Because if you think you know it all, you definitely don't. That's a big thing from the entrepreneurial side: what to look for, like red flags. Like, I would say, are people quitting your partners that you're doing business with? Are they leaving you? Or you know, your your employees giving bad body language, bad bad tone in their voice, you know, that type of stuff. It's like, you know, you got to be really, really, really self-aware. And if you're not self-aware, I wouldn't even start a business because you got to be able to check yourself real fast, right? So that's the only on the entrepreneur side, on the actual person side, on the business side, this is where you get a really fine line. You get an idea like, okay, well, I I think I can market this. And I think this is what's going to be the, re, the reaction. And you go down this marketing channel, for example, and for the first week, nobody does anything. And so on the marketing side of things, I see people actually give up too quickly. Like I, I said, hey, you know, you got to be able to pull the plug quickly on things, make choices quickly. But sometimes on the, there's a fine line, especially with marketing stuff, where you got to give it some time to work. You got to give it time to be patient. And that's one of my biggest things. I'm the most like impatient person in the world. So it's like, you know, given the marketing aspect, patience and and giving it time and not killing it too fast. But at the same time, where I see is on the opposite side of that, especially on marketing is entrepreneurs sinking money into a pet project, basically saying, I know this is going to be right. I know this is going to work. We used to use it, see it all the time with it in investment banking stuff and investment world. You get these CEOs that have these pet projects and they're just sinking money into it because they got their egos on the line, right? They can't let that thing fail. So they just keep pumping money into it. Well, the same thing can happen with you where you're just pumping money into this thing and it's not really working. So on the marketing side, there's that fine line. Now, the other red flag that I see a lot of is you know I catch people chasing red you know, the, the little shiny object way too often because they, they see a little bit of revenue coming in from something. And that's a big red flag because you're going to end up putting yourself back into a corner. And I'll give you an example of this. I mean, I can't tell you, I could probably name just off the top of my head, two or three PTs, for example, that started businesses. And they had great concepts and great ideas and a chance to really build like the sustainable base of revenue. And for some reason, they got it in their head. Like I should do a course. You know, I should do these these other quick things. And so they put out a course. And because they had an audience, they were able to drive thirty, forty thousand dollars. Some of them drove sixty or seventy thousand dollars. And they're like, Well, this is fantastic. So they're putting course, 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 all these different courses. Well, guess what? Eventually you're gonna run out of people. Like and you got horseshit content. But you got away from your main business idea. And you're spending all this time on courses. And guess what happened? COVID hit no one's buying shit right now for courses, your revenue, your business is filled and you never even gave your actual business an opportunity. So that's one of the big red flags that I see is when businesses start chasing this little shiny object, it's like that business is dead. They're going into a corner. That's not their business. Okay. So that's one of the big red flags I see too. And then, like I said, try not to burn cash try to do everything as much as you can without cash. Now, obviously there's going to be stuff you got to pay for. There's good stuff to pay for. Good CRM systems. I brought up Active Campaign earlier for what we need it for. It is fantastic. I I can care less if I'm spending $500 a month on that thing. Like it is it is awesome. In one year just because we plugged that in, I mean, we saw our revenue increase by almost 200%. Like it, it is fantastic. But saying what do we need and where? I gave, gave you guys the example of, you know, the affiliate marketing stuff. That was a disaster. We were in the position to sink money in, but I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that you know, they come to me to invest in their businesses. And they're like, I'm like, what's your marketing idea? They're like, Oh, we're going to go to affiliates. It's like, what else do you guys got? That's your number one choice. It's like, yeah, we're going to affiliates. I'm like, why are you going to affiliates? Well, it's like, how about this? Go to those websites and ask to be a guest post or something like that. And write an article for them. Start getting the word out there for that. Like that's free, right? Like, and it's going to take you probably less time to do that. than try to chase them down as an affiliate and try to sell someone. Yeah, so there's a time and place. So, mapping that out and trying to do that, like if I see people really trying to go gung ho, you know, you got to understand what these things are for. So, do your research. Understand, okay, okay, I'll give you guys a perfect example. Google, like I learned this one the hard way. Their PPC campaign, so pay per click, is great if you have a big ticket item that you have some conversion rates for already. Because bottom line is, is, most of the time in a PPC campaign, it's not going to be profitable for probably six to 12 months because you got to make sure you got the right keywords, the right, the right headlines, the right, all this stuff. I don't give a shit what YouTube videos you watch, what courses you take that tell you how it's easy. It's not freaking easy. That's why there's guys that make a lot of money doing it for a living. Okay. But then you have PPC campaigns on Google. You also have display campaigns on Google. And then you also have like Facebook display ads. What I've learned is is there are different purposes for those. So like if I have a big ticket item that I just want people to sign up for, it's like, yeah, I'll go try to do a PPC campaign and spend X amount of money. But if it's like an educational content that I'm just trying to drive people into my website, maybe to get just captured names and emails or just build a list or do whatever, do display ads. They, they cost like 20 cents a person versus $3 a person. We've spent, I tested this in all of our Facebook ads on display ads. We have spent about $2,000 over the last two years. Okay. Those display ads have driven us about $150,000 in revenue. We did a PPC campaign and we dropped $2,500 on it. Cause it was one of those mistakes too. Like I did with the affiliate stuff where I'm like, I think we're ready for a PPC campaign. We dropped $2,500 on it in like a month and a half. We got one person. It was like, oh shit, there's a learning curve. So it's like, if you're dropping money on different things like that, that's a major red flag. If you don't have a game plan of, okay, this is when I'm gonna like tie this in, this in, this in, this in. And if you don't have that mapped out and a good reason why, probably need to research it a little bit more. We do a lot of workshops in schools and everybody, when I first told investors, that's what we were doing, they're like, why? They're like, oh, you can make money off of charging schools. I'm like, I'm not charging schools. We're doing it for free. And they're like, well, well, that's going to cost a lot. I boiled it down. It costs us like $500 to go out to each school. We convert over 50% of the people in attendance. So per class that we go to, we just in the business we have right now, we'll drive between $5,000 and $10,000 in revenue from that class. off of a $500 spin. And that's not even with the, the technology that we're about to launch. Like that, that works great. And I had that plan saying, this is what we're doing. And this is how we can bridge the gap and all that type of stuff. But we had a plan in place. So Paul, to answer your question about like a red flag in a business, that's a major one is what is your game plan? This is what you're gonna do. When do you do the next one? What do you have to see to say, this one's good to go. I'm ready to start the next one. This one that's been built. Okay, we're ready for the next thing. Um, and have that game plan. And that's the big thing that I see with business is just not having a game plan at all. And just saying like, I'm gonna open up a PT clinic. It's like, okay, have you done a cost analysis on this? Like I did with my wife, where if she opens up a clinic after costs and after everything else and all the headaches and working 80 hours a week, she's better off just staying at her nine to five job. You know, look at these things. You know, if you're going to open up a clinic, think bigger. Like what else are you doing? One last thing that I'll leave you guys at with a big red flag in a business is the person an expert that's the big thing that I look at like when I'm an investor into a company, right? And I'll give an example of myself. Like, I'm an expert in finance. You guys are, are experts. You're going to be you know, Carl, expert, PT, all that type of stuff. When it comes to finance, I can get on the phone with anybody. I don't even have to think about it. I can have a conversation, tell them exactly what to do. I don't even need to think about it. And that's how you got to be if you're going to launch a business. Whatever that product is that you're selling, you got to be an expert in it because you're no longer going to be doing that. I'm not a financial planner. I'm not a wealth manager. I'm a business owner. You got to focus on all this other stuff. If you're a PT, you're no longer a PT. You're a business owner. So that clinic side of things, you better know damn well because you got to be able to do that shit in your sleep. So that's the big thing like if I talk to somebody too, and again, I can go on like 50 red flags, but if I sit there and talk to you an entrepreneur and I don't think they're an expert in it, you're going to hit a wall real fast. Um, so that's, that's the big thing. Last red flag I'll leave you with is if I asked an entrepreneur why they're doing something, I touched on this earlier and they say, because I want to make a lot of money, peace, like they got no shot because I will tell you right now, like, I don't consider what I do work. Cause if I did, there's no way in hell I'd be doing 15 to 20 hours a day. You know, I consider this fun that's all I'm doing all day is, you know, I got to even tell my daughter, my daughter's three You guys might've heard. Her, she ran in here when I was doing a podcast I wanted to give me her mini register. She's already thinking money. Like she gave me a little mini mouse register when I was in here. You know, like I tell her, I'm not like, I'm not going to work. I'm going to help people because that's the way we look at it. So as an entrepreneur, if you're sitting there saying, I'm doing this cause I want to make more money. Nope, not going to happen. Anyways, that's, again, my my five to 10 minute rant about about red flags and what we look for. Like I said, my background is investing and I've sat through a lot of of startup pitches and I can't tell you how many red flags we've seen from a business standpoint, but that's typically what what I look for is, do they have a plan? Are they an expert?
0: Man. I love it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I could do I could do like a 3-hour podcast about startup investing.
0: <laughs> oh man, no, Joey, we, we definitely got to bring you back, man. Uh, this was amazing. This is going to help a lot of people because finances is it's the big elephant in the room that no one likes to talk about. So I think it was so critical for us to bring you on so we could, you know, have this discussion about a lot of these things. Before we let you go, though, for anyone who's listening, you know, and, and they want to find you, they want to get in contact with you. What uh, what contact information, social media handles, what would you leave?
3: Yeah, Fitbooks.com is the easiest way, like especially if you want help with finance stuff, specifically student loans, our bigger platform. You know, we're recording this, what, in May. It's probably going to be ready to the public in June or July. That does everything like investments and mortgages and all that fun stuff. We're getting that geared up. But if you guys want help with that, you just go to fitbucks.com, dot com, click join now. It's free. Build your profile, schedule a call, jump on a call, walk through everything. So that's the easiest way. If you guys are trying to reach out to me, just either, you know, on social media or whatnot, just you know, on Facebook or FitBucks Finance Group on Facebook is the easiest way. You know, I'm crazy because I do give out my email. Um I do have three of them, so I prepared. See, I had a plan, right? I have my business email and I have all my other emails. Joe R at FitBucks.com. I mean, that's that's our quote unquote client email for me. I do, and I this is something that I'm really proud of. And if any of you guys have have a client-facing business, I highly stress this. We have a policy and I do it too. Every email, every contact we get, we respond within 24 hours, period. So like if you email me at Joe r at fitbucks.com, I will get to it except for Sundays it don't work on Sundays, but by Monday morning, I'll be emailing you, you know, a little trick to uh, throwing out, you know, nugget out there for you guys. You know, trust me. I mean, I, since April, March 13th, I counted the other day, I've had, I think something like 4,000 emails. You got to have a structure. And I literally go on most of the time it's, it's at night because I like doing technology stuff in the morning. Cause that's when I'm primarily focused. And I literally carve out an hour of my day, two hours of my day, just to answer emails. Nothing else is on. And when I'm done with those emails, I turn off my emails, period. Because if I don't, I'll just get bombarded with emails all day long. Uh, but that, that's the easiest way to get a hold of us, FitBucks.com. Just build your profile, schedule a call, Facebook, or FitBucks finance group, or just email me, R at FitBucks.com.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Joe. Thanks so much, man, for making the time to hop on man, this this was a treat. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more. But uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, you could have been anywhere else, but you chose to be here. If you got something out of this episode, which we know you did, go ahead and comment, share, subscribe. You know, we just appreciate you guys. We love you. Until next time, peace and many blessings.
4: Thank you for listening to another episode of Off The Clock. This episode was brought to you by The Accepted System. The Accepted System is a program that helps pre-physical therapy students get into physical therapy school without wasting time or money. This episode was also brought to you by PhysioMemes. PhysioMemes helps PT businesses to increase their referrals through word-of-mouth marketing by growing their brand with an online store. PhysioMemes. This episode was also brought to you by the Acceptance Navigator Series. Most pre-PT students go on to spend hundreds of dollars applying to multiple DPT programs, with the majority of them having less than 40% confidence that they will actually get accepted that cycle. You have been taught that regardless of all the work you put into applying, you really don't have much control over your acceptance into PT school. The truth is, you actually do. Let the Acceptance Navigator Series show you how. You can find them at www.acceptancenavigator.com. When you go on there, make sure to let them know that Paul and Carl sent you over to jumpstart your acceptance into physical therapy school. Thank you for listening and keep tuning in.